Hi everyone and welcome back to the Moon Friends Sports Podcast after a two-week hiatus. Thank you for joining us and making his Moan Friends debut today is a mad Blazers fan and unfortunately Essendon fan as well is a good mate of mine, Jared. Jared, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Mo. Good to be here. Thanks for the kind introduction. <laughs> that was pretty kind, I thought. I, um, you know, I held back on any more adjectives to describe Essendon, so you should be happy with you, that. You've used... You've used harsher words before, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Have you been with me to any of the Carlton Essendon games? Yeah, we've been to a couple. Yeah. Um, I think we've, we've been to some that have gone your way and some that have gone my way. Yeah. I remember one game in particular, we were with one of my mates who is a very passionate Bombers fan. <laughs> and I was glad that I was sitting in between you two because there were some very heated moments there for sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah, look, I, um, I tend to lose myself a bit at the games um as yeah as you and many others would attest to as well i know our mate brent has um borne the brunt of some of my tirades as well i'm um, going to carlton Essendon game. so yeah it's um i look it's all good fun you just uh, get lost in the zone for a while and uh, then you you get back into the real world i guess absolutely awesome mate all righty we'll start you off with a couple of questions so first what's your favorite sports moment as a fan and what's your personal sporting claim to fame my favorite sporting moments as a fan um i had a few that were kind of hard to to narrow down i had some from footy i used to i guess go to a lot of afl games when i was living back in melbourne a couple of highlights were the very first anzac day game bombers versus collingwood in 1995 the draw at the g with i think 97,000 people there was pretty pretty exciting the 2000 grand final where we we got up over melbourne by 10 goals was pretty special as well but um i think the one that stands out for me is um heading over to the States late last year and seeing a number of basketball games. Yeah, the, the, we managed to get to one that was Trailblazers versus Sacramento um, in Sacramento. So felt like a, definitely an outsider, but um, it was a, an overtime game. We ended up winning by a few points. It was the most nervous I've been at a sporting event in a long time, but um, the atmosphere was electric and yeah, you, you, you can't, can't beat that kind of environment. US sports stadiums are, are fantastic and uh, the music and the lights and the spectacle that it is, is is pretty special. So that's probably my um, favorite sporting moment so far as a fan. Awesome. So you've been to a few games in North America, haven't you? Yeah, so managed oh, nearly 10 games, I would say, over the last few years. I've had two trips over to the US, so about 10 NBA games, luckily. Um, Went to the NFL, the ice hockey as well. Um, so the only one that I haven't caught yet is the baseball. So yeah, so I've seen quite a few different arenas into New York, into LA, Portland, Golden State, Toronto a couple of times, which was pretty impressive. That was just this season. So got to see Kawhi in action, which was, yeah, incredible. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Because I was about to say, you weren't always a Blazers fan, were you? I remember you mentioning um, what made you a Blazers fan. Do you mind sharing with, with, with our audience? Yeah, so I suppose I was just a more casual NBA fan, you know, follow all the, the highlights and the, the top 10 play clips on, on YouTube um, going through uni. And yeah, it was really going to the, the Blazers stadium and, and going to a match over there. Um, I think we were playing against the Lakers, actually, Mo. <laughs> um, oh, yes. And Thanks the, yep. the environment, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> the environment there was just incredible. So it was a come, come from behind win. Um, I think Lamarcus Aldridge hit about four um, turnaround mid-range jumpers in a row in the last quarter to to pull back the margin and and 
Lillard hit a couple of clutch shots in the end to to pull them over the line. And um, I suppose I, I liked their kind of attitude. They have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and um, always playing the underdog card. And um, yeah, it just just resonated with me and and stuck with them ever since, which was probably six years ago now and been following them ever since. Awesome. Now, look, that's fantastic. It's good to have uh, mates who support, I guess, you know, non-traditional basketball teams, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, I think actually I have one other friend who supports Portland as well, which is, you know, given the probabilities, a bit surprising. But no, that's fantastic. And we'll get into them a little bit later in the show as well. So what about your claim to fame? Yeah, so it's not so much a a claim to fame, I don't think, but maybe just an interesting fact about my early sporting career. Always been a bit of a a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, I suppose. Tried out a lot of sports. Was never really elite at any of them. But um, I was thinking about this and worked out that I, I actually missed out on playing in five premiership teams through my um, my football career. I mean, I wasn't the best footballer, so it was, you know, partially my own fault, obviously. Um, I think there were two times where I um, we had a few good players come back and didn't get selected. Two seasons, I had knee injuries, one pretty major with a knee reconstruction. And then once I took a, a year off for... Um, for studying for um, final year of uni. So, yeah, over the course of about um, eight or nine years, I, yeah, I think I missed out on five premierships, which was, yeah, quite mind-blowing. <laughs> you skipped on a premiership for university, mate. What's going on there? Yeah, well, it was a, a big year and I, I hadn't done the best at uni in the, uh, the few years before. <laughs> so I, I thought I'd do the right thing and, and knuckle down a little bit. And I also didn't know that I'd, <laughs> the team would be uh, in line for a premiership in yeah, like nine months time so ah uh, yeah there was a few off years in between as well so so those when you say five premierships so you mean like they actually won them every time they made a grand final yeah so it was over like a would have been maybe a nine-year period yeah right um there are a few years where they they made the grand final and and didn't win a few years where they, they missed out yeah reserves football and quite a successful team so quite a number of of guys have got yeah, multiple premierships, which is um, pretty cool. Awesome. And what position did you play? Uh, I was mostly in, in the back line, um, anywhere from fullback to, to halfback. Sometimes I'd, I'd sneak up onto a wing if I was a bit cheeky or a bit lucky. But um, yeah, mostly in the back line. Awesome. Nah, too bad, mate. That's, you know, sometimes yeah. uh, it's the way the cookie crumbles, I guess, when it comes to um, exactly those premierships. And I did get one in the end when I moved to... Um, to Queensland for work my first year out of uni. I joined a, a local team in um, in Gladstone and um, yeah, we won a, won a a couple of premierships in yeah, seniors and reserves, which was pretty cool. So, well, Is that because there's only 20 people who play footy in Gladstone? And, um... <laughs> <laughs> no need to go into that detail though. <laughs> awesome, mate. Nah, thanks for sharing. Alrighty, let's get into it and we'll start off with NBA playoffs. And um, we've spoken a fair bit offline throughout this season about your Blazers and I said I owed you an apology, so here it comes. Thank right. you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so let's just, it's fair to say that the Blazers have um, proven me wrong at every turn this season. One was with the, with the trade period and although I thought the addition of Ines Cantor was a good one, I just didn't think that adding Rodney Hood as well would you know, make the impact that it has on the team. And, you know, I have a bit of a pickle to pick with Rodney Hood and George Hill as to where they were when they were at Cleveland with LeBron because they, you know, were MIA essentially, but that's a different issue. And then when it came to the 
playoffs, I, and along with many others, uh, unfortunately picked the Thunder to win and we were proven wrong there as well. So that's now um, two in a row. So, you know, as a result, I've sort of uh, changed my tune ever so slightly and, uh, you know, have given uh, your Blazers the uh, sort of slight advantage uh, over Denver to take it in seven games. But, yeah, before we dig in too much detail, how have you seen the season so far? Well, what have you liked the most? And, uh, you know, what do you think the odds are against uh, Denver now that we're four games in? Yeah, well, thanks for that well overdue apology to start <laughs> with. Um, <laughs> I think what's impressed me most about Portland, especially... I guess in the last month of the regular season with the injuries to, to Nurk and um, CJ McCollum missed, I think about 10 or 12 games um, in the last few weeks of the year as well, was the maturity, I think, of the group. Um, I think they didn't let, let that pressure and let that, all the outside noise get to them. Um, I think they kept a really cool head and, you know, just did what they had to do. They played hard basketball and they, um, set themselves up and, and got quite a favourable draw in the playoffs, which was always helpful. I think if we had have landed in the other half of the draw and we're facing the, the Jazz or even the, the Spurs or the Clippers, it might have been a, a different story. But um, yeah, we were, it was good to land where we did and um, they've been impressive so far um, in the playoffs. I think that the real story, obviously, uh, in the first round was was Dame time going off on a number of occasions and that, that game five walk-off victory was, was quite special. Um, I nearly fell off my chair at work when I was <laughs> watching the last two minutes. <laughs> sure, um, the last two minutes. Yep, go on. Yep. Yeah, that's that's all it was, I promise. Yeah, 100%. Um, yep. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that that was um, satisfaction enough for me just about. I mean, the amount of talk coming out of OKC from Westbrook was ridiculous and the celebrations they were doing when they won won their game um i think it was game three that they won was annoying so it was it was fantastic to um yeah put them back in their place i thought this series i mean it's it's totally different obviously it's a different opponent denver is a a really hard matchup there's almost no matchup against jokic he's an absolute freak he can pass he can score he can, you know, do all kinds of things on the court. So, plus with that that lethal pick and roll that he's got with um, Jamal Murray, yeah, it's it's hard to beat. But we're we're putting in a good effort, and um, our role players are, are stepping up quite well. When um, I guess Damian Lillard's not having as good a performance in in this round as opposed to the first round, he's still averaging like twenty seven or twenty eight points. But yeah, certainly CJ McCollum, um, Rodney Hood, as you mentioned before, he's he's stepped up a lot in the first. Um, three games in particular and even Seth Curry off the bench had I think 16 or 17 points um, yesterday in game four so it's good to see other players stepping up outside of um, the normal two Willard and McCollum. No absolutely and and just on the Thunder series and um, you know I never got a chance to recap the first round uh, you know as um, we were away but you're absolutely right I mean the, the talk that was coming out of OKC you'd think they'd all multiple time champions and finals MVPs and the rest of it when they hadn't proven anything. And, and if anything, I think um, it was uh, a demonstration of uh, Lillard overtaking Westbrook as a better point guard in the NBA for mine. And, if, you know, for a number of years, I've been talking about how Westbrook's game just doesn't translate to winning basketball. 
and you know the number of shots he he takes and he is a he is a scorer not a shooter right he he just can't get that consistent shot when he's hot he's hot but when he's missing geez does he cost the team like he can easily go five for 24 for 18 in a game and it just completely kills your momentum and yeah they had a little patch there during the season when they sort of decided you know what this is sort of Paul George's team more or less you know he was sort of dictating the pace and um, running the plays etc but I don't think Westbrook took too kindly to that and yeah, just the, look, his energy is amazing. He plays good basketball, but, uh, you know, I think his triple doubles are a bit overrated just in terms of on the scoring side. So maybe with rebounds and assists, it's it's fair. But when you look at the scoring, I mean, someone of his quality, it's not that hard to get into double digit uh, figures, but you have to see how many shots you're putting up to get there. And I just think, you know, it's been proven now for a number of seasons that his basketball doesn't translate to winning. And I don't know, maybe they've hedged their bets um, too far with him uh, in OKC. Yeah, I think what was really noticeable in that series, especially in games four and five, was the difference between Lillard and Westbrook from a, a leadership perspective. Like if, if the shot wasn't there for Lillard, he wasn't taking it, he wasn't forcing the issue. Mm. Um, yeah, if um, Aminu was open and, and hot or you know McCollum had an open lane to the basket or something like that he was making that pass but the more intense the situation got and the, the higher the stakes the more Westbrook kind of went into himself and, and tried to do it all whereas you know you just didn't see that from from Lillard as much he seemed to be making the right choice um, every time absolutely mate and yeah look and you can tell how it translates in the end and just how confident the team is in uh, taking the shots and making them and and you know good good on Lillard and he's shown and you know they've done really well to rebuild that team after Lamarcus left because he was the other anchor uh, there for them but if anything I think it's sort of worked out a bit better given uh, LA's mid-range game I guess, and he sort of tends to hold the ball a bit and has to have a couple of dribbles before he does those turnaround uh, mid-range jumpers that he loves. Uh, if anything, having CJ and Dame and then complementing them with a really smart big like Nurkic and even Kanta, who's really good um, offensively at the very least. Then you've got uh, Seth Curry, Rodney Hood, etc. shooting the three. I think it's uh, worked out for Portland. Yeah, I agree. And when you add in, we had, I suppose, um, Nicholas Batum and mm. Wes Matthews as part of that real core nucleus back then. I guess the the direction that their careers have taken off, yeah, certainly doesn't um, cater as much to the modern NBA. No, um, even if you look at our, our new, I think he's a second-year center, Zach Collins. Yeah, he's yeah. He's a proto- prototype center going forward. He's a really good shot blocker. He can hit the three pretty you know, pretty confidently. He's, he's still pretty raw and he gets into foul trouble quite a lot, but he's got real promise, I suppose, as a an athletic center who can defend and, and stretch the floor. No, absolutely. And look, I mean, it's 2-2. Goes back to Denver uh, tomorrow, this series, for game five. And I thought the Nuggets did really well not to be disheartened after that quadruple overtime classic. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, it, when you go to four overtime, there isn't really, I mean, there has to be a loser, but I mean, what do you do, right? You, you went to four overtimes and one team had to win eventually and they could have easily uh, been tied, especially with uh, Jokic, mate. I think he played 60 plus minutes out of the, the 68 minutes for that game. He was absolutely epic uh, for them. But 
they came back in game four. He had a triple-double. Jamal Murray hit 11 of 11 free throws and gave him 34 points, and they managed to, to even it up. What did you see in that game, um, uh, you know, at least from, from your guys, that they couldn't uh, follow up and consolidate the home court? Yeah, look, I'm not sure. I mean, we really just fell over in that third quarter. I think they outscored us 27 to 14 or, or something like, like that. The whole first half we were, you know, up by five to to ten points. But every time Murray and and Jokic came down the floor, that that pick and roll, we just had trouble with it. We've tried a few different things throughout this series. You know, double teaming Jokic every time he's got the ball, which works a lot of the time. But then as soon as guys like Murray, Barton, I think um, um, a couple of guys off the bench for Denver, and even Gary Harris started to hit a few threes. You know, you can you can smother Murray and and Jokic as much as you want, but as soon as those complimentary guys start hitting their shots, it doesn't take much for them to get you know five, ten points up, and and then it's hard to claw back. So yeah, I, I think they just they just outplayed us. It's it's one of those series where it couldn't really go either way. Every match, every quarter, even you could be, on, you know, on the other side yeah. of the coin. So no, absolutely, and and you know, look for mine. As I said, you know, I've trying to learn from my mistakes and so I tipped Portland at the start to, to take <laughs> it by seven but I will say this whoever wins game five will win the series um that's that's how I see it sort of uh, le- leaning right now especially if the Blazers win it um in win the game in Denver I think you'll close it off uh in Portland um and if the yeah. Nuggets win it to go up 3-2 if it does end up going back to Denver I, I think they'll they'll end up taking um the series so yeah watch this space at least it, look it's uh, it's competitive right I mean that's a you know as a sort of a, an outside fan a neutral watching this game uh, you want competitive series and four games uh, four games into every series the only one that's a bit of a blowout is Milwaukee Boston and can I just say uh, Paul Pierce um, not, sure Paul, <laughs> not sure Paul Pierce listens to our podcast, but if you do, mate, like what a what a terrible call, to be honest. I mean, I, I tipped Milwaukee to win that series. And look, it was a bit of a shock when they lost the first game. But to say that the series was over, I think it was, a, I mean, I know you go for sand bites these days and you want hot takes and all the rest of it. But from a, you know, a Hall of Fame basketball player, you expect a little bit better. And he, yeah, he tipped Boston to just, you know, sweep him pretty much. And he said it's over. And Milwaukee have turned it around and uh, they're 3-1 up. They've won two games in a row in the TD Garden, silenced the crowd. And yeah, I don't know, what have you been, what have your thoughts been on on Boston in general and maybe Kyrie Irving's game specifically? Paul Pierce has had a, a bad couple of <laughs> months. He got, first he got slammed for um, thinking that he was better than, than Dwayne Wade. Oh, and now oh this. Oh, God. Yeah, um, have it. Oh, anyway, yeah, so, that's a whole different topic. Yeah, that one. It's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, Boston have been confusing all season, and I still can't figure them out. To be honest, I don't know what their best best five are. Like what their best combination of players are. You know, Tatum had a horrible first couple of games, and he's started to improve now. Jalen Brown um, had a couple of really good games earlier in the in the this series um Haywood has gone completely missing and really it's been down to the play of Kyrie Irving and Al Horford it's kind of dictated how close they've gotten to the Bucks really Horford's a you know a phenomenal 
playoff player, really. He steps up every single off season. And Kyrie is Kyrie. He's, you know, one of the best, probably I'd call him top four point guards in the NBA. And he's got the ability to put the team on his back and really carry him at times. Yeah, the continuity with that roster, it's it's really all over the place. And I think anyone would struggle to to really find their role in, in that situation. So I'm pretty intrigued to see what will happen in the offseason if um, Kyrie catches a plane north to New York Knicks or, or if he goes to the Clippers or if he stays around. I'm, I'm just not sure, you know. It, it, it really is all up in the air, but I don't see them getting much further than the match in two days' time. I think Milwaukee will steamroll them, to be honest, and they'll be getting ready for the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, mate, look, I'm completely with you and anyone who's been listening to us since we started uh, the pod, you know, we're having conversations with uh, Eric and Jensen around the Celtics. We've been like, you know what, we keep saying this team's going to click and this team's going to click and it just has never happened. And, you know, a couple of things here. I think Brad Stevens has been very disappointing as a coach of top-tier talent, if that makes sense. So he was the coach at Butler and, you know, he's got this sharing offense that he likes to run, etc. And I just don't think that translates very well to the NBA when you have superstars and egos and people who need to have the ball uh, themselves. And you're seeing that with, with this team. You know, I think Tatum's gone into his shell pretty much all season because he's just not getting the touches that he was getting when Kyrie was injured. Um, same goes for Jalen Brown. Obviously, Marcus Smart was injured. But how poorly has Gordon Hayward played since he's been back from his injury? You know, he's been absolutely shocking. And yet, and I don't know if it's because he played for him at Butler or he sees something that we're not. Uh, Brad Stevens continues to play him for 30 minutes a game. Uh, it completely baffles me that. I, I just have never understood uh, why... You know, he keeps doing it. And I know he's a, you know, you're paying him 30 million, but do you know what his stats were for just today's game? (laughs) Jared, he played for 27 minutes. He shot one of five and had two points for the game with one block and one turnover. And he was a minus 11 on the plus minus. Any way you look at it, he's a liability on your team. And I just can't see how you're playing him for 27 minutes. And then Aaron Baines, who may not give you the same offense, get seven minutes when you need everybody you can get to stand up to Giannis, who's having an amazing season and an amazing playoff series, uh, you know, just to slow him down even a little bit. And you just add to that the fact that Kyrie has gone 19 of 62 in his last three games. And he had a quote saying uh, after the previous game that you won't see another eight for 22 performance from him. And he was right. We didn't. We saw a seven from 22 performance from him um, today. So he's also, you know, trying too hard. He was on the court for 44 minutes, uh, right? So again, you know, it's just hasn't gelled all season, even though they ended up with double figures. They shot 22% from the three-point line at home. They made nine of 41 three-pointers. You're not going to win uh, shooting that and then shooting 38% from the field. So, yeah, these guys have just fallen off. And like you said, in the offseason, it's going to be very interesting because I don't know if you can move Gordon Hayward's contract and even if you want to. And I don't think Kyrie's going to stick around. So you might end up with another rebuilding gig because Anthony Davis won't go there either. Yeah, agreed. And I think in fairness to Hayward, he wasn't cleared to you know um, get back on the court really until a couple of weeks before the season started. And that, that's going to disrupt you a lot you know um 
so I'm hoping that next season, you know, he gets a proper preseason under his belt, a little bit more conditioning, a bit more time with the team, um, you know, as they're going through those those really crucial, you know, summer camps and, and things like that. So I'm hoping that next year he can bounce back, and because he was a phenomenal player, um, he was with the Jazz. Like he was fantastic to watch, and and he was he was art and soul of that team. You know, he contributed, you know, in defense, offense, spacing the floor, you know, distributing the ball. Um, so hopefully we can you know, maybe see more of that next season. My point is that playoff basketball is situational basketball. And if a guy, you know, four games into a series or even, you know, you don't want to wait four games because they're 3-1 down already, but two or three games <laughs> in and you can see the production, you just have to bite the bullet and say, look, maybe maybe it's a wrong matchup for him too, right? Like Milwaukee have some strong bodies, really good defenders. You've got Middleton, you've got Bledsoe, you've got Ilyasova, you know, they're really long bodies. And if they're not long, they're like a hard nuts. Like Bledsoe can play safety in the NFL. He's like, a, he's a <laughs> unit, right? He's, um, he can really yeah. defend. So it just hasn't worked. I mean, on, on the flip side though, I think props to Giannis who made amazing adjustments after that first game. Given how well they stopped, it, they stopped him and slowed him down. And, you know, this game he had uh, 39 points and he was incredible. You know, 16 rebounds. It's just a monster game. Uh, he does everything. He can stretch the floor. You know, you take two steps from the three-point line and you're dunking. Um, great spin moves. <laughs> and they threw everyone at him, but they couldn't stop him. Yeah, it's been really impressive. I was I was looking at his um, stat lines today and I think he was shooting 25% from three during the regular season and he's stepped that up to 34 or 35 during the playoffs. And that has just opened up the lane for him so much there was a move today where he, he faked the three yeah, as you said two steps and you know spin move jam like you, you can't defend that that kind of um athlete really so mm. he's been getting better every single match this series and it's it's scary to see like how good he's getting because he is phenomenal absolutely and and george hill just on the rodney hood uh, comment that we had earlier george hill's had an amazing series and he's given him really good minutes and he's averaging 14 points in this playoffs for the Bucks. And just more broadly, I guess, just the last point on this game is the production from the bench. And just for you know that that particular game, uh, the Milwaukee bench gave them 32 points, uh, whereas the Celtics bench gave them seven. Right. So yeah, I, yeah. I think sorry, there were four on. bench players. Sorry, yeah, I think there were four bench players from the Bucks who had a net rating in positive double figures which is crazy. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. It is. It's amazing. And you're right. So Ilya Sova, George Hill, uh, Brown, and Connaughton, who I'd never heard of, to be honest, until the playoffs started. He is actually, <laughs> he used to be a pitcher, a baseball pitcher in college. He was drafted yeah. in the fourth round a couple of years back as well. But you know what? He yeah. can make a three and he, he's got good hops. I saw him dunking. I'm like, okay. Um, he, he had a couple of years with the, the Blazers and we... Um, we let him go. I think right. it was earlier this season, and okay. I was a bit disappointed to see him go because, yeah, he's a he's a he's such an athlete. Like he's mm. a really versatile player. He can he can run the floor. He can handle the ball. He's still got a bit to work on with his um, outside shooting, but there's you know signs of improvement. Um, yeah, phenomenal hop. Some of his dunks mm. were absolutely incredible. Yeah, so he, he's a good player, and a really interesting story, as you said. Yeah, he came from baseball. I think he played baseball basketball 
and was quarterback as well um, at his high school. That was a really interesting that. article on him. Yeah, it's just absolutely multi, phenomenal athlete. Athletes like that, yeah. It's it's awesome, and you know what more trust do you want? You know, in a playoff series, the coach played him for thirty three minutes, so you know. Yeah, that uh, says it all. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, pretty impressive. And like you said, I think they'll win this series four one. Um, the other series in the East been interesting. Um, so Toronto and the Seventy Sixers. It's another two all series, and I'll I'll give you my take, and then keen to hear your thoughts uh, on it. So I tipped the Sixers to win the series, and. I had sort of put a big caveat on it with uh, Joel and Bede's health. And clearly, you know, the games that they've lost, uh, Joel has not been himself. I think there was one game where he took an IV at 6 a.m. Uh, in the morning just to get on the court. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Ben Simmons is not stepping up as he should for when Joel uh, is sick. Uh, right, I'm expecting Ben to be a lot more aggressive than he is. We all know that he can't shoot uh, from outside, but he's had a couple of games in the first uh, in the first playoff series against the Brooklyn Nets where he was able to really be aggressive, assert himself, and drive through the lanes uh, to score. And I think they need that from him, especially if if Embiid uh, is not a hundred percent, because you need someone to help Jimmy Butler as well. And, and, you know, that's, that's all he needs to do. I mean, if Embiid is 100%, then just facilitate, play defense, and try to slow down Kawhi as much as possible, which he's having an amazing series as well. Um, but you need to give them more. And I think um, if this trend continues of Embiid, uh, you know, being sick and then Ben not being as aggressive, unfortunately, the Raptors will win this series. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. It's been a, a very strange series it's really been dictated by which players don't show up more than the ones that do i think um kyle lowry's had two good games and two horrible games siakam i think um had a slight injury or illness and and he was really quiet in one of the games that toronto lost yeah and same as you said Embiid went missing harris has been very quiet all series, I thought, except in the games that they win. And I don't know if that's because of anything to do with him, to be honest. I find it quite ironic that Jimmy Butler has been the source of volatility throughout the whole season, but he's been the one consistent player for this whole series. He's been <laughs> steadying the ship for them because no one else, ha- no one else has. Ben Simmons has, made, has taken three field goals in fourth quarters against the Raptors in about 35 minutes. Wow. So he's just not he's just not being aggressive as you said. He's I think he's had five assists in that time and six turnovers. So he's he's just not getting involved in in the the crunch parts of of the game. And Kawhi Leonard is arguably MVP of the playoffs at the moment. He's averaging nearly 40 points a game. He's incredibly efficient. I was about he's to say Fifty percent from three. How how efficient just, is he? Yeah, it's um, it's just incredible to watch him play. He's just so smooth. It looks so effortless. He just gets to the spot that he wants to go to, mm. and you know he, he can move the defense at will. And he's just one of those smart players. He always makes the right decision, whether it's to you know pull up for from three or drive it in for a little mid range um, jumper or, or kick it out to to an open shooter. Um, and I think Gasol has really helped that as well you know he's a, a very smart big who can he can shoot he can he can pass the ball really well and, and he 
he's really helped their their offense move. I think it was a little bit stagnant before he came, and now they seem to be yeah moving the ball a lot more, and and it, and it shows when it when it clicks, it's hard to beat. But um, on those games where <laughs> you come up against a red hot Joel Embiid, like good luck to anybody really. So I think for the, the next next couple of games, I think it just comes down to which players on Philadelphia show up on the night. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Toronto wrap it up in, in six, to be honest. Finally, with the NBA, uh, another series that hit its four-game milestone today is uh, Houston and Golden State. And uh, Houston, so both teams have won uh, their games at home. And what's happening with Steph Curry, uh, Jared? He doesn't seem to be himself in the playoffs in general. And I made a point to Eric, actually, during the week, I said, has there ever been a three-time champion, a two-time MVP, unanimous MVP, that has never been an MVP of the playoffs when his team has won the championship? Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know where he's gone. He had 30 points today, but it didn't feel like it. He's, um, what did he shoot? Four from 14 from, from distance, I think, some, something like that. It's, it's been a really strange series for, for Curry. Um, even Clay Thompson as well. They've kind of both been a little bit off. I know Curry, he dislocated his finger the other day and he's been knocked around a little bit. But yeah, that I think that missed dunk attempt at the end of um, that was overtime <laughs> the other day. That, wow. Yeah, that was, that was hilarious. But um, <laughs> I think that really summed up his, his series really and his playoffs in general. I think Kevin Durant is, you know, having as good if not better playoffs than Kawhi and he really is carrying the team at the moment between him and Draymond um, ever since Boogie Cousins went down um, they have been I hate saying that because I really don't like Draymond Green <laughs> but between the two of them they've been carrying the um, the Warriors look absolutely and I think it's very underrated that loss of DeMarcus Cousins just because of he Look, they're still an amazing team. Let's not get it twisted. I mean, they still have the core of everyone who's won championships. But, you know, fatigue gets you, just attrition gets you, you're always doing this. And DeMarcus just gave you another dimension. And he added someone who was a star in this league who was still hungry to win because he hadn't done it before. So he was always going to show up. Whereas the other guys, it's look, it's hard to three-peat. It's hard to go to four or five finals in a row. That's why it hasn't been done, uh, you know, very often. There's only a few teams that have actually uh, done three-peats in the history of this league, right? And even this version of the Golden State Warriors is not one of them. This shows you how much needs to go your way for you to, you know, achieve such greatness. And with DeMarcus out, uh, Clay and Steph, I think in general the the team is averaging something like 37% from the three-point line, which is, you know, not very good for them. Uh, given how much you know they rely on it as a tool, especially to sort of flip games around or to bring momentum back when they need it. Like you said with Curry, he, you know, shooting percentage is so low from outside. He got most of his points, Jared, by driving actually. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were giving him a lot of those drives as well. Sort of, you know what, if is just there's something about uh, a drive and a layup that doesn't have the same impact as, you know, bombing 33 pointers in terms of momentum and how you know your defense and your um your momentum uh, reacts to to something like this. You know, you see a player come down, dribble, and then pop up and shoot a thirty footer, and it just kills your momentum. Whereas if they're driving in, they have a layup. I mean, he can't dunk. He proved that himself. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't impact you as much. 
and yeah, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Do you think they'll still win this or is it Houston's uh, to, to lose now? Look, I think Houston is a tough matchup for the Warriors, especially after last year. I think Houston have gone into this year with the mindset and the roster construction that we're going to beat the Warriors. That's what we're here to do. Anything less is not acceptable. Anything more is a bonus. So I think, you know, they're really, really geared up for it. They're kind of like that attitude that, you know, someone like DeMarcus Cousins has. They're like so energized to kind of come out fighting every single night. So I, I, I'm not sure where this goes. I think the Warriors still have that, that capability to just flick a switch. And, and we saw that, you know, in some games towards the end of the regular season and in, in some quarters against the, the Clippers. Um, sometimes they can just go ballistic and, and hit 50 points in a quarter. And sometimes they can miss dunks in the open lane. So it, it, it's, it's really, really going to be tight. And I think this one is definitely going to go to, to seven games. I think if Houston can keep hitting their shots and their role players keep hitting their threes, players like Austin Rivers, Daniel House, um, even Aman Chumpet hit three-pointers mm. three the yeah. other day. PJ Tucker, um, yeah. Yeah, PJ Tucker and, and Clint Capella had a horrible start to this series, but he's starting to, to be a bit more dominant um, inside, catching a few more lobs, getting more rebounds, kind of imposing himself a little bit more. I think he's always going to get run off the court, especially when the Warriors go small. But um, yeah, I think if those kind of complementary pieces you know, start to hold their own a little bit more, then um, Houston are, are a really good chance. Look, the second round of the playoffs has definitely been a lot more exciting than the first round, even with the, I guess, the sub-story of the Clippers doing well and pushing Golden State just a little bit. But I think for the most part, uh, you know, most of the series were wrapped up pretty quickly uh, or there wasn't that much uh, to, to worry about. But it's good to see that the second round, every series except for the Milwaukee-Boston one, is, is um, tied up at 2 all. So you can't really ask for more than that if you're the NBA. Yeah, the top eight teams are, are, are all fighting it out yeah. um, at the moment. And that's all that you want, really. Absolutely. Awesome, mate. Thanks for that. That was a really good wrap-up of the playoffs. Let's switch our attention to the AFL. And uh, I don't know if you read earlier today, Jared, but Gary Ablett's uh, won his appeal and he's been able to overturn his one-match suspension. I don't think there was ever any doubt, that, and that's a cynical side of me. I, I just didn't think they would... Um, uphold it given he's played 328 games without ever being suspended and the fact that they gave him a one game I thought his good record will come into play and they'll overturn it are you, are you surprised by this at all or did you see it coming um, to be honest I am a little bit and it's only because I read something that um, I think Michael Christensen the um, match review panel officer came out and said the other day that a player's record you know, doesn't count for anything when he's going through that process of determining what the charge should be and you know how many weeks he should get or what the fine should be so i thought that statement was interesting you know that that's fair enough you judge every incident on its merit as you see it on the footage but then to come out and kind of reduce the penalty for that exact reason for such a good record and and for those like character traits yeah i i thought that was a little bit con- contradictory, but I mean, it wouldn't be the match review panel without controversy and confusion 
for fans, I don't think so. <laughs> As if people needed more reason to hate the Geelong. Um, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not surprised. Like I said, I, the moment they gave him one game, I knew they'd appeal and that they'd, um, yeah. you know, um, overturn it. 328 games, no suspensions. That's, that's a pretty good record, isn't it? So yeah. can't really, um, can't complain there. All right, yeah. so he's still, I guess, in line for the Brownlow and Geelong are top of the ladder, but we're not going to talk about Geelong today. Uh, unfortunately, Good. we will be talking about Essendon. Um, <laughs> Excellent. And, you know, so seven games in, Jared, you're three and four, sitting 11th on the ladder. Started off a bit shaky, then you you won three in a row, and now you've lost the last two. How have you found the season so far? We're pretty much a third of the way through the season already. What have you been your thoughts on Essendon's season and what do you think is realistic expectations for you guys moving forward from here? I think we started off horribly. Um, those first two games were really disappointing. But then, yeah, it, we've certainly started to click a lot more um, of late. And I was looking today and I was like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're three and four. Like, it's going to be a struggle all year. And then I looked at the latter and saw that we've lost to Geelong, Collingwood and GWS and that's one, two and three on the latter. And we were very competitive against Collingwood at least. We were for parts against GWS, maybe not so much against Geelong. But yeah, so I'm kind of holding judgment a little bit, I think. Um, I think we've got the potential to be a finals team, absolutely. But again, with Essendon, it's it's which Essendon turns up on the day, to be honest. Um, if the Essendon that played against Collingwood turns up every week, then you know I can see us falling between fifth and eighth, like that bottom half of the eight. But if you know we don't put in as much effort and we play more like we did against Geelong, then I can see us maybe fighting for those, those last one or two positions um, in September. So I think expectations are finals because that's what we kind of recruited for in the off season the last two mm-hmm. years we finally pulled our finger out and made you know trades to get good players that complement our list rather than being really inactive so you know we picked up Devin Smith Adam Side, um Stringer and now Shiel um we really need to be pushing for finals you know this year and next year because before you know it players like Hooker and Hurley who are you know arguably the two most important players on our list, they're going to be on the wrong side of 30 and then we'll be on the way down again. So really, we've got a strike now. So I'm optimistic for the rest of the season, but I, I do think the next few weeks are critical. We've got some big games playing Sydney this week in Sydney. We've always struggled up here. So hopefully Buddy Franklin misses and we're more of a chance. And then we've got Richmond in a couple of weeks as well, I think, which is going to be a massive game. I feel like the next few weeks will kind of dictate where we go for the second half of the year. To be honest, your, uh, your fixture list coming up is is on the softer side, I think. Like it's favourable, which is which is a good thing. I mean, uh, Sydney just you know completely off their game. They have a lot of yeah. youngsters playing. Um, they've lost four in a row. They, I, I really, I think it's a very winnable game. You should get up and then Frio at home for you guys um, uh, is also winnable. And then the Richmond game that'll be that'll be a bit tougher. But again, Richmond are ninth themselves. They haven't been a, the, this yeah. whole of consistency either with injuries uh, to some key players. And then you get to face uh, the mighty Blues before the bye, so, uh, which, which you will win. But I still have to say mighty Blues. Um, so, you know, I, I see you at least going three and one. Is, I think that's a fair 
yeah fair result you know between now and the buy and then that'll have you at um six and five going into the buy yeah um, and, and that's that's pretty reasonable yeah yeah i I'd, I'd be more than happy with that and you know as long as we we're you know around that mark and can kind of hopefully use a few good games before the buy to kind of plat, you know use as a platform for the second half of the year we've still got a lot to work on in terms of our forward structure how we use the ball too many skill errors i think it's really plagued us uh, you know we haven't been overly efficient so you know hope, hopefully we can work on that over the next next few weeks with those matches that you just mentioned and um yeah make a little bit of a push into the, the top half of the of the ladder yeah it's good to see the the ladder sort of corrected a, a bit uh, right after this the very odd start that we had to the season i think the first three rounds everyone's tips were shot um yep. with uh, some of the outcomes but as we went along i think the better teams have definitely uh, you know just come to the top and like you said you know geelong collingwood gws that's pretty much where you know whereabouts you would have picked those i think obviously brisbane's a bit of an exception there the lines are an interesting one for me and mm. i was only looking at this because i know you're based in brisbane but their draw is incredible for them they i was looking today and i i think there are only maybe three or four matches that you would pencil in as losses mm. everything else you know, they're a really good chance. They play the Gold Coast twice. They play teams like the Bulldogs, Sydney, Hawthorne twice. You know, they've fallen off a little bit. So, you know, they've, they've got a, a lot of young talent and they're, they're playing really good footy. So I, I wouldn't be surprised and, you know, put it out there as a, as a bit of a smoky. Mm-hmm. You know, they, yeah. they might finish, you know, eighth, eighth and, and just scrape into the finals, which would be great for them. Um, but yeah, it would be really interesting to see where they go for the rest of the year. No, look, you make a really good point. And I think, you know, and a lot of their, you know, those easier games that you mentioned are at home as well. So they host North, they host the Bulldogs, they host the Suns. And I think that'll be, you know, they're three very winnable games. And uh, they host the Demons as well. You just never know what you're getting with the Demons. Uh, so, yeah, no, I think you, yeah, great point with that. You know, and I think that win against West Coast just gave them the confidence to really carry through. And, yeah, uh, you know, Charlie Cameron back, I know I keep talking about him, but he just brings so much energy and flair to that forward line, gives him a bit of freedom, and they've recruited really well. Uh, yeah, you know, Lockie, Lockie Neal is probably yeah. going to win the Brownlow medal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look, looking like it, to be honest. It's amazing. And Rainer's coming along. Hipwood is really good. I've been yeah. watching a bit more of them uh, this year. Daniel Rich has always been consistent and uh, you need that player off the back line as well to to distribute well. So, yeah, no, look good on him. I think, um, you know, on, on a sort of a separate note, I, I enjoy it when uh, some of the interstate teams in sort of lesser footy areas do well. It's just, just good for the game and it makes sure more fans show up. You know, like the game against Collingwood, I think, was a sellout at the Gabba. Yeah, nice. um, earlier yeah earlier this season so that was really good to see yeah so hopefully they they continue to do well yeah and and get back up because they've been they've been down for a while now question where's joe danaher at in his career jared you know i i remember when he sort of first burst onto the scene and he was really coming along and you know like he's the next sort of great forward hope and comes from a good stock and great booming left foot had to work on a bit of consistency and then he, he went through a really good patch and I don't know, the the last little period he's sort of, I'd say fallen off. He's not a bad player. He just seems to be run of the mill right now. Where is he at um, from an Essendon fan's point of view? 
I think if you had have asked me this last week, I would have told you he's back. He's going to be all Australian. He's ready to take the league by the scruff of the neck. But he had a quiet game. I know it was a, a relatively you know, short turnaround um, the last few weeks, I suppose, with the Anzac Day game and, and, and all of that. But I, I think he's been plagued by injury a lot over the last 18 months. And he, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating because he's got so much potential. He, he really could be like up there with, you know, Jeremy Cameron, you know, in the conversation for best forward in the league on his best day. Um, but he just, he just can't put it together week after week. So look, he's still young. I'm not sure how old he is. Um, 25. At the moment. 25, yes. So mm-hmm. he, he should be entering into the prime of his career in the next couple of years. Yeah, he's, he's a, a huge Huge kick, as you said. He's incredibly athletic. Not only the things he does in the air, but also you know some of his groundwork for a, a two hundred centimeter, um, you know, ruckman almost at times. He's incredibly agile. Some of the snaps that he can kick are, are phenomenal. So yeah, I, I just like him to get a bit more consistent. You know, he doesn't have to kick six goals every week, but if he can just you know hit the scoreboard consistently and kick anywhere from two to four, you know, most weeks get up the ground, take some big contested marks, then, yeah, I'd be really happy with that. But at the same time, one of the biggest issues that Essendon have had in the last, well, this season, but even last year as well, is our delivery into the forward line. And some of the kicks that we, that we make, uh, you know, they're on the wrong side of the, of, of the forward. You know, they're favouring the defender or they're, they're just... You know, with I guess with the modern defence, how you have a defender sagging off, waiting to, you know, to be that third man in the contest. You, you really need to perfect your entries into forward fifty, and I think that's a real weakness of of ours. Um, more often than not, it's it's rushed and it just doesn't do them any favours. So that that's another thing that's that's certainly not going to help him. I'd hate to see him turn into the Matthew Richardson of of the. The 2020s, but um, if our delivery into the forward line doesn't get any better, then he might be throwing some tantrums in the in the goal square before you know it. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. Hopefully, with uh, you know, once Shields sort of adjusts and and really integrates with the team, you know, he'll start seeing uh, some better delivery um, in, into that forward line with uh, McDonald tipping Woody as well being that crummer uh, up there. And you, you mentioned Jeremy Cameron before, and you know, he's I think he's joined. Uh, only a handful of players who've kicked at least three goals in the first seven rounds of a season in history. And I I think he's sort of the best forward in the competition right now. Would you agree? Absolutely. He's kicked 30 goals for the year. I think next best is 17. He's, he's, He's just hit his straps and he's marking the ball well. He's obviously kicking the ball well. I think he's a really good example of just his, in the prime of his career, he's obviously incredibly you know fit and he, he he just mustn't have an issue with his body at all at the moment um he's got a group of elite midfielders you know, kelly taranto um Caniglio, all of those guys you know <laughs> delivering to him wherever he wants it basically so that that combination like it's it's hard to stop and he's got a good supporting cast up forward you know you've got toby green um 
Finlayson, I think, as well. I hadn't heard much of him until this year, but he's mm-hmm. come out and kicked a, a few a few goals um, in a few games. So, yeah, he's he's definitely at this stage an absolute lock for the full forward position in the All Australian team. I think, and I think he's going to be a big partner of their campaign into September and, and finals. So, yeah, I'd love him at the Bombers if we could have him. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people would love him in their um, uh, fantasy drafts as well. If, yeah. Uh, if, if they didn't have him. But yeah, look, I'm hoping GWS go one better this season. Seems to be a bit of an open year slightly. And if they can maybe make a granny, that'll be really good um, for the comp. And even with all the, with some of the players they've sort of lost, either through injury or who have left, uh, you know, the team, like Tom Scully as well. They haven't missed a beat, have they? They've just um, you know, Callum Ward obviously has gone down injured, but they've still they've they've kept going strong. Yeah, it just shows how deep their list like is still. <laughs> you know, all of those high end draft picks that they they have. But I guess the difference between the Gold Coast and GWS is how they've used them. They've recognised mm. that um, you know not everyone is going to want to stay, mm. so. You know, they they have two of our first round picks from us getting um, Devin Smith and yeah. Dylan Shield, like, yeah. and they, they've they've done that across the board, and they've they've been able to continue bringing in really good players year after year after year. So I'm not sure how many years they've been in the company now. It must be you know at least six or or seven years, but every, every single year it seems they've got a high end draft pick from a trade, and they they've got access to you know top ten talent. Their midfield is just absolutely loaded, and you know, Lockie Whitfield is another one I didn't mention before, who is mm. an absolute superstar. Yeah, um, and they've managed to sign um, Kelly to that um, that contract. Back ended deal, think. yeah. It's yeah, really interesting. Deal. It's like yeah. a two year deal with options to extend it to yeah. six, and then another option to extend it to ten, to ten which yeah. is quite a, a unique deal. And some some inspiration from the states there with the some of the back ended deals they have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what? That's that's the thing, right? A lot of players these days want flexibility. They don't want to be locked in full time. And I think even fans are a lot more understanding of player movement now rather than demanding a full loyalty just to one team. So it's just part and parcel of the game. And so if it makes him comfortable and they know that they've locked in a superstar talent as well, then, you know, both both sides win. Yeah, totally agree. It's going to be a really good year for them. And um, yeah, hopefully they make it all the way till the grand final against Essendon. Thanks for your time, Jared. No worries. Thanks for having me. I hope you had a, have had a good time and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on again. Yeah, I can't wait to quickly listen to myself on your podcast. <laughs> and many, many other fans can't wait to, to listen to you either, mate. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> For joining in, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Mo and Friends Sports Podcast, and leave your comments. Always looking forward to them, and we'll chat to you soon.